0: All right, welcome to the Backyard Professor videos. I am not on StreamYard today, this morning. I am just going straight live instead of through StreamYard. So I have some remarkably interesting ideas that I have found on various websites, on the internet that share... Information on how Mormonism is hiding its history, how it is manipulating its history, how it is intimidating others who also show the historical context and background. And it's really crazy how afraid of the truth the Mormon church is. And I think this is very telling because it shouldn't be that way. I think the contrast between the way the LDS leaders treat the the historical information, the philosophical information, the scientific information, the scriptural interpretation they give off the impression that they truly are genuinely afraid of actual history. They want to present a cleaned up version. Now, none of this is new to us, but it's worth repeating periodically when we get to so many points that it establishes a pattern. And that's what I want to talk about today is this, this pattern is truly shocking because the, the impression they're trying to give now is because with the Joseph Smith Papers Project, publishing everything Joseph Smith ever wrote, whether it's scripture, private letters, uh, correspondence, dictations of laws, etc., it is truly fundamentally irrelevant how they've approached this. They want to present the theme that they are open now. Now, in other words, it's a former admission of guilt. It's kind of like, have you stopped beating your wife? In a way, they've said, yes, we've stopped beating our wife of history. Now we're going to let her up and go and be free. Is this the case? Not based on some of the information that last you. Hey, Debbie Joe, good morning. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I put up a, a video where we travel through several mountain ranges, and I shared some of my thoughts on that. It's just a 15-minute clip. Uh, I love showing the power and beauty of the world. It's a refreshing thing. So thank you, Debbie Joe. I appreciate you uh, watching that. So this, this theme that we want to get to the truth no matter what, that also can be a double-edged sword because the truth is really never, especially historical truth, it's really never what we think it's supposed to be. And of course, the church leaders have fallen into this. Now, a comparison contrast... For me personally now, this last several weeks, I have been watching numerous YouTube videos of a gentleman named John Lennox. He's a mathematician out of Oxford. He was there for 45 years or so, and he's recently retired. He's also a Christian apologist. His bold, straight-out, open approach where he encourages everyone, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter who, which church congregation you belong to, he encourages the study of the science, the study of the arch enemy of Christianity, evolution and chemistry and physics and cosmology. And he studies the scripture. He encourages encourages an openness with the various Christian congregations where the ministers allow scientists to come up and present their science, where chemists are allowed to come up, and philosophers, etc. Nothing is uh, ordained through a specific, tight, narrow channel of only church-approved literature or discussion. He says, what we need is not a hiding, but an openness, uh, I believe the leaders of Salt Lake City could take a serious lesson in that. Sincerely, hey, Monkey King, one or eleven? Thank you. Oh, that's interesting. They rather than give just the negative documents that you know the opposition wants, dump everything and make them sort through it with the open the openness of the Joseph Smith papers. Yeah, it's kind of like a disclosure in a lawsuit. This is correct too yeah, just dump it all out there and 90% of the people, number one, they won't be able to afford it because they really are sumptuous volumes. Uh, full color texts, I've got several of them here for, and, and down here, full color texts, uh, photographs, um, very expensive, large, uh, serious scholarly apparatus in each one of them, uh, historians scouring them. Yes, it's a team of like 15 or 20 of them Uh, all together doing all the spell checking, et cetera. And they're like a hundred to 150 bucks a piece. So they're probably feeling safe that they can do that at this point until people begin to sort through them and find the issues uh, that are so problematical with Joseph Smith. And of course, uh, the church stamps its weighty hand of censorship and disapproval on any historian who digs that deep and then turns around and wants to share it. Here, the bottom line issue here is: if you don't want to be called a cult, then you have to stop acting like one. Honest, it's that simple. There's nothing. There's nothing complex here. Uh, if you want to stop being thought of as a cult, then stop being a cult. Stop the suppression. Stop the intimidation. Allow open access to discussion of all angles, etc. I sincerely don't see this happening anytime within Mormonism at all because, and we've heard this before, but it, it has come back to me in such a strong manner that I really do believe that the brethren are afraid of the truth, of the historical truth, of the scientific truth, of the philosophical truth. And that's why they denigrate the philosophers and the scientists, unless, of course, the scientists put a spin on their science or a spin on the scripture that supports Joseph Smith. If they'll do that and tweak the information uh in many times, in my opinion, incorrectly, then the brethren are fine in letting them talk. But an actual open dialogue to finding the problems and all, the brethren appear to me to want this impression that there are no problems within Mormonism. And that's simply false. I mean, the internet has exposed that sham completely as far as I'm concerned. So this theme of... Being Afraid of the Truth, contrasting it with the new Christian apologetics online, uh, John Lennox is one of the most powerful ones i found recently. His book, God's Undertaker Has Science Buried God, is an incredible read. You don't have to agree with all of it, but holy cow, his direct, bold approach, his openness. He acknowledges the validity of science. He's a mathematician and he is a scientist. Perhaps that's part of the problem. The brethren are so narrow in their thinking that they only call people who think like them into the upper echelons of the church and its inbred prof- prophecy, its inbred scholarship within Mormonism. They don't have a variety of various views that they can play off one another and come to a better. Uh, more complete, well-rounded, balanced approach, and instead they clamp down. And in the process, uh, there are some interesting studies that I've seen now online that that share this idea of them saying, well, we don't need the truth, the the hiding of church history, uh, what we want to do is squelch the truth. And yes, there's going to be a few excommunications. Oh, well, you know, they think like a corporation. That's the downside of all of this. Hey, Richard Petchak. Welcome. Glad to see you and Debbie Joe having at it. Good job. Yes. So, so this idea of hiding history. Um, now, we're all familiar, and I'm going to just highlight a few things. Joseph Fielding Smith, and I got to take my glasses off here. Joseph Fielding Smith and the 1832 First Vision account. The thing that is just so disturbing here is we have gentlemen in the leadership of the church who are willing to damage historical items in order to get their cleaned up version of history. Joseph Fielding Smith literally tore the page out of Joseph Smith's journal, an invaluable historical source. And this idiot tore the page out because he did not like how Joseph Smith wrote his own view. Now, that's, that's sheer arrogance or sheer terror. Take your pick. I'm not impressed with Joseph Fielding Smith at all, as you might have known from many of my earlier uh, videos. And then Bruce R. McConkie flat out denying that Brigham Young originally he denied Brigham Young taught the Adam God doctrine and then secretly behind closed doors with the historians. He said, well, yes, he acknowledged, yes, President Young did teach that Adam was the father of our spirits and all related things that the cultists ascribe to him. See, this isn't scholarship. This is just name calling and intimidation. Continuing in the private correspondence, he said, I think you can give me credit for having a knowledge of the quotations from Brigham Young relative to Adam. Oh, well, I'll give you credit for suppressing the information and lying about it, because that's all the credit you get, because that's what McConkie did. I'm not impressed with his so-called scholarship. It was intended to hide the truth. Not present the truth. So, yeah, I'm not impressed at all with McConkie. Now, uh, Boyd Kirtland actually was fascinated why all of a sudden uh Spencer W. Kimball and Bruce R. McConkie I remember this era I did not know this background information but they began to denounce in the strongest possible terms the Adam God doctrine almost as it was out of the blue and Boyd Kirtland actually got a hold of them and he was trying to figure out why Marky Peterson and McConkie and Kimball were so vehement in denouncing the Adam God doctrine and uh in the 1976 General Conference, President Kimball denounced it and said, we warn you against the dissemination of doctrines which are not according to the scriptures and are allegedly taught uh, by some general authorities in the past generation. Such is an instance of the Adam-God theory. Well, this got Kirtland wondering, well, what, what is going on here? How come How come this weird emphasis all of a sudden? And here is what he was told. He he wrote to the First Presidency and asked them point blank, what's going on here? How come all of a sudden this is relevant and needful? And I felt this dilemma was simply the result of a misunderstanding or a lack of information on the part of the Brethren. Later, I met with an informal committee answering to Marky Peterson, who had been set up to help members confronting confronted with issues raised by fundamentalist mormons the adam god doctrine being one of the chief of these the net result of my meetings with these people began to make me realize that brother peterson wasn't acting out of ignorance of the fact regarding the adam god doctrine he was doing something else entirely so he was still curious and he suspected his letter did not reach the first presidency and he met with michael watson the secretary of the first presidency he was surprisingly candid with me he says revealing that my letter had been forwarded to marky e. peterson to the first presidency with his recommendations as to how to respond to me and so he he did get in he informed them that the issues i had raised were real that brigham young had indeed taught these things but that they could not acknowledge this lest i would Trap them. Very interesting wording here. Trap them into saying this, therefore, meant Brigham Young was a false prophet. He therefore recommended that I be given a very circuitous response, evading the issue, which he volunteered to write. I asked Brother Watson, as well as members of the committee I'd previously met with, how this approach would help people like me who actually know better, however. Wasn't there concern that some may be dismayed and disillusioned by their church leaders' lack of candor? Indeed, they finally figured that out in our internet days, haven't they? This was in the 1980s. Their response was very similar to Elder Hinckley's, to President Hinckley's statement mentioned earlier about losing a few through excommunications. They said, in essence, if a few people lose their testimonies over this, so be it. It's better than letting the true facts be known and dealing with the probable wider negative consequences to the mission of the church. And that's a quote. That's a flippin' quote, you guys. I'm going to read this again. If a few people lose their testimonies over this issue of the Adam God and Brigham Young teaching it, and he's a false prophet, so be it. It's better than letting the true facts be known and dealing with the probable wider negative consequences to the mission of the church. They're not after the truth, you guys. They're not interested in the truth. They have an agenda what they call a mission in order to spiritualize their lying agenda. I have no other way to describe this. I really don't. I'm trying to be charitable here, and it's literally, truly close to impossible. So this is brutal. So what happens here? Oh, of course. Lucy Mack Smith's biographical sketches of Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, of course, wanted those destroyed because they didn't match with his agenda. He did not like the idea of the family of Joseph Smith being the successors. So he did everything he could to destroy that in order that he might acquire power. Well, from my point of view, at this point in time... (laughs) I find that worse than him teaching a false doctrine. And yet this is what happens. So it's very, uh, very disappointing. It's very discouraging for those who are just discovering these issues in these facts. And they're wondering, my gosh, what kind of... Men are running this church. What kind of church is this that suppresses the historical truth in order to present a false philosophy of man that the truth is always so beautiful and harmonious, etc.? See, that's one of the big issues Dan Vogel raises in our Sunday night discussions, which incidentally he will be here tonight, six o'clock. You don't want to miss that. We're talking about the faculty of a BRAC, another subject that the brethren, have always hated the magic worldview of Joseph Smith. We have crystal clear historical evidence that that was indeed the case. Dan Vogel and I will be discovering that tonight, or discussing it, I should say. We have wonderful slides to present. Vogel has gotten his historian's cap on. We're going to have a magnificent time yet again this issue discovering the history that Mormonism is afraid of and does not want out. It's out, of course. But this is always worth finding. Uh, And then, of course, they delete the references to polygamy. Charles Penrose, now he was one of the members of the first presidency of the church, admitted that after Joseph Smith's death, certain facts related to plural marriage were purportedly withheld from the church publications for prudential reasons. Whose prudential reasons? The church leadership, of course. Yes. They want to lie and disobey the laws of the land and live polygamy. Well, we can't let that out, can we? Even though it was the celestial law. You see, this this is just so fantastically interesting how they do this. Now, although dishonesty about contemporary polygamy is not the same as covering up history, he admitted modified documents were intended to preserve history, but it's not a true history. It's a modified document. It's a lie solidified into text, and nobody's going to know the background unless he confesses, and he did. So this is... this is an ongoing pattern. This is what I noticed, this this ongoing pattern of fundamental dishonesty with history because they don't like it and they do everything they can to convince us that they are the restored truth. Yet... They really don't like their own truth, so they modify it, change it, throw former prophets under the bus for teaching false doctrines. They manipulate the record. They excise things. Hell, man, these guys will even destroy pages out of Joseph Smith's own journal. The prophet, they love to testify, they know is true, unless, of course, he wrote something that we disagree with. And then we have the right to tear that out and hide it or destroy it. If, if you don't like being called a cult, you have to stop acting like a cult would be my sincere advice on all of this. Seriously, it's astonishing how they do this. Let's keep going. Um, Heber J. Grant and the history of the church. He's the one that required B.H. Roberts to censor some information out of the history, and Roberts did not like that. He was not pleased. He did not go down without a fight. But ultimately, of course, you know, authority prevails. Authority to indicate truth is vastly more important than just letting the evidence speak. Right? That's why Mormonism constantly finds itself in so much trouble historically, because they just don't do it accurately or correctly, and yet they say everyone else needs to be honest, and the Holy Ghost will abide in you. Well, if they're not being honest, if they're directly lying about doctrines, if they're directly lying about historical situations, etc., they say to us, well, the Holy Ghost won't come to you if you do that. If you lie to us, oh, oh, You are heading down the road of apostasy. You need to stay on the covenant path. But we, yeah, you're damn right, we can lie to you because we're doing it for your own good. They don't have our own good in mind, folks. That's not how this works. They don't give a flip about us. They care about their own image. That has come out now, truly. There's no question. And then, of course, Von Brody's No Man Knows My History, uh, J. Reuben Clark would not allow any kind of a review in church literature on that book until Hugh Nibley came along and wrote his uh, ridiculous diatribe about it. So we have that. Another historian squelched, eventually excommunicated the exact same thing happened with Thomas Cheney's Golden Legacy about J. Golden Kimball. The book was reviewed and they took all the vulgarisms out of it. Well, I mean that's like Jay Golden Kimball with Jay Golden Kimball left out. Uh, these men are such prudish squirts that they can't even be realistic. They have no connection anymore between their congregation, the church, the people, and themselves because they're. Heads are somewhere off into a fantasy fairy tale of complete unreality about what it's supposed to be. That's what they do. Alan and Leonard's story of the Latter-day Saints. When it was first published, uh, the Brethren did not like that at all because it told too much secular stuff. It made the early saints too human. It destroyed our mythologizing of the history and therefore they did everything in their power. And it was terrifically called for, for the reprint The first printing sold out and everybody wanted some more. The brethren would not reprint the book. They said, Nope, Nope, we're not going to do it. We have no desire at all. Elder Benson successfully had Deseret book refused to reprint the book. Yep, Ezra Taft Benson, the beloved prophet of truth, hid the truth because he didn't like it, of his own church. So they know just enough to be able to get rid of all the bad stuff and include only the good stuff and make up a boatload of good stuff and possible spiritual connections that actually never really even existed in order to promote faith because... They have no faith in their own history. They are faithless and blind, guiding everyone else. That's Jesus's view in the New Testament about the church in his day. We're seeing a direct modern parallel to this. It's amazing. And then, of course, Elder Benson's fight, um, Against the historical scholarship, he publicly warned about Mormon historians who, quote, inordinately humanize the prophets of God so that their human frailties become more evident than their spiritual qualities, unquote. You see, he doesn't have a testimony at all of true history and what really happened. He's faithless. He has no belief in it. He's terrified, and so he must suppress it. And this is the prophet of the church then, Elder Ezra Tap Benson, President Benson. That's astonishing. His own words betray him and his lack of faith. That's amazing. It's it's really quite remarkable when we see the, the more full and obvious context, isn't it? So Benson defines, I thought this was very interesting. He defines historical realism as slander and defamation. So we see here a church leader who simply re, re, uh, makes the meaning of words so that he can manipulate the record. Call it a label, and then you can deal with it instead of just being honest and open and say, oh, well, yeah, okay, he farted in church. He was a human. He lied. Okay. Well, it's remarkable that they really don't like how the former prophets lied so much about so much problematical issues in the church. And then these guys, lie about the earlier prophets lying and they take it out of the record and teach and print a new lie. They haven't gotten out of the problem at all, have they? (laughs) I think that is remarkable. It's scary if you're a faithful Mormon, because these guys want you to stay on the covenant path of accepting our lies and our manipulation. And then the Holy Ghost will testify to you that our lies and manipulations of the record are the truth. That's just not how it works. Sorry, they informed the... uh, faithful Mormons who watch this, but that's not how it works. <laughs> it's astounding. Hey, Golden Thrasher. Welcome. Hey, Karen Cross. Good to see you. Patty Cake. How are you doing? Karen Cross is here. Ashada Nagila. Welcome. So we have really sincerely serious problematical um, issues that have plagued the church from the very inception. It's this the reason this uh the reason i want to bring this up this morning is because it is and has been an ongoing pattern it is their method and of course they don't want you to know that but we do know that because we're in a new age of communication so the Trustworthiness sags. Obviously, there is simply no other way we can do this except disbelieve what we're being told anymore. That's the issue, and they never had the inspiration or the foresight from the Holy Spirit to look that far off into the future about their ridiculously stupid methods of suppressing history, of intimidating others into not writing certain books and articles, not participating in in symposiums and worship groups and study groups without our formal approval, because we are the Brethren. We have the authority. We have the best part of the priesthood, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's gotten to the point to where it's ad nauseum silly. It's ridiculous how they do this. And it was elders Benson, Peterson, and Packer who were the primary spokesrooms for the view that it was not right for church-paid historians to write in a way that they felt inordinately humanized the prophets and underplayed revelation and God's intervention in human affairs. I mean, every time Elder Benson had to go pee, he had to have a revelation to tell him it was okay. That's the kind of thinking these guys had. Total revelation. at all no actual dirt and crust history at all it was all just floating down the sidewalk in total holiness and the angels and god guiding them and it's just pure fantasy it's idiotic it doesn't connect at all with anyone there you have it so this is seriously problematic and then of course. And we're all familiar with this. It bears repeating yet again, though, because the simple fact of the matter is when the new history came out again, lacking the spiritual foresight, I will say, lacking the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, the brethren could not see far enough ahead to recognize the serious implications of their cheating of history because they feared the truth and when it came to light finally that joseph smith was involved in treasure digging that he was involved in using a peepstone for wicked purposes and that is how he was described by some of his contemporaries now This isn't me mocking Joseph Smith. This is the history that was suppressed. Uh, It used to be anti-Mormon. If you even got caught with the literature, you were called into the stake president, not the bishop. Oh, not the lowly bishop. No, this was a serious offense. Oh, you're reading apostate literature. You need to go to the stake president because there's more power. There's more authority there and he will squelch you. It's all this treatment that constantly went on. They excommunicated people who taught this truth and they did that for decades, man. We all being raised in seminary Going to institute, right? Four years seminary in high school, etc., Sunday school, but of course, we were all warned away from anti-Mormon literature. It's lies, lies, nothing but lies. The amazing thing is, with the church essays out a few years back, they admitted. Everything that was used to be anti-Mormon was actually because the brethren did not like it, but it actually happened, and that they were the ones that were the liars, not the anti-Mormons that they were excommunicating. It was the church leaders that were the liars. The essays demonstrate that on numerous subjects. So this is a new day has dawned. And it's just, it's worth repeating this, that look, it's a new day that's dawned. These church leaders are paying for their sins, whether they repent of them or not, for a very simple reason, because Mormons are voting with their feet. They are simply saying, that's enough. I don't need to be indoctrinated. I don't need to be brainwashed. I'm not coming back. The voting with the feet is occurring with hundreds of thousands, not just a couple here and there, like the brethren thought would happen. No, hundreds of thousands. And it's remarkable that it's the younger generation. In two more generations... Mormonism could literally become a very, very small church because they don't have a younger generation that's going to replace the older one. It's leaving. They never looked that far out to see the effects of the science and technology. Very few of us did. But then we don't claim to have the inside scoop with the creator of the universe like they do. They should have seen this and they didn't. That's why they have to come up with rescue missions, and every single one of those are abject failures, as we well know now, because that, now we know the rest of the story. (laughs) That's the history of it, that they had to meet beforehand and select six or seven of the youth and Give them the question that they were allowed to ask and they were the ones that were going to raise their hands when the question and answer session came and then they would be called upon. They were obviously softballs. That they have to even set it up that way shows you that it's not about the truth. With them, it's about money. They want you to stay in for one reason. Tithing, of course. And fast offerings, yes. And charity work. When we tell you to go dig the church farm's ditches, no, we're not going to share the food with you. But you, as an elder score, must go clean the church ditches. See, free labor. Yeah, this is the issue that's going on, and it's huge right now. Justifiably so. So this idea of hiding and defaming the other Mormons because of Joseph Smith's treasure digging is an obviously brutal one. And then, of course, they, they described, uh, well, for instance, uh, Eber D. Howe's book, Mormonism Unveiled, they described this, of course, as anti-Mormon and all. Well, come to think of it, with a valid historical approach, such as my guest tonight, Dan Vogel, he has discovered that Howe wasn't an anti-Mormon. He was actually telling far more truth than the church leaders imagined. Now, this is significant. This is very, very significant. You see, it's time to read all of those books that were put on the Mormon index of prohibited books to read, because there's the history. We can't trust the Mormon leaders anymore, which means we can't trust the Mormon printing press anymore. As unfortunate as that may sound to many Mormons who watch this, that's how this works. It's not that you've been caught in one or two heaven forbid, three lies, this is the method of operation for the last 200 years. And when this kind of information surfaces, comes out, and it is validated through actual historical evidence and references, and those historians who point this out are then disciplined, then you've killed trust. You've killed trust. That's the problem with the Mormon church. Of course, it doesn't want to face up to that. So they continue with the what? The same methodology. And it didn't work before. I strongly suspect it's not going to work right now. Seriously. These are real issues affecting real peoples and our lives. And it's not fun to go through. I recognize that. I've been there, done that. But the glorious news, which I seriously did not think would happen, is there's light at the end of the tunnel, man. True story. So let's go on. Oh, yeah. And then the ensign article argues that the charges of laziness and occupational money digging were contradicted by the labors and activities of the family. No, they weren't. They really weren't. So this uh, this folk magic theme is a big one that it is uh, still alive, I would argue. It has not gone away. Yes, I know, D. Michael Quinn has unfortunately died. His material lives on, and it is still affecting people. And then John Brooks, the Hermetic prophet, and we have Lance Owens on the Kabbalah. And uh, uh, another another guest that I will have on here within the next oh, few weeks anyway, we are going to be discussing the Kabbalistic connection with Joseph Smith on my Sunday Uh, program you won't want to miss that I don't have any firm date yet but things are in the works so so today the church has admitted to the use of peep stones and divining rods by Joseph Smith and his family And, uh, and that's in the 24 the 2014 essay on translation it was also in the October 2015 version of the ensign on the article on the peep stone Man, I never saw stuff like that talked about in my youth at all. I always had assumed all the way through seminary because I was told what to think. I'd always assumed that, well, the Peepstone, stone in the hat translation, that's just down there, Mormons who were jealous of Joseph Smith's raging success. You know, you look back at that stories and cockamamie that was taught us and You you just have to shake your head. You said, uh, you say to yourself, well, you fooled me then. I'll be damned if you're going to fool me again. See the problem Mormonism has. They assumed, well, there's going to be a small fallout. Only your entire youthful generation, if you call that small, then the leaders really are blind, aren't they? It's astonishing, yeah. So the it goes on. Well, let's take a look now. Oh, Am- Apostle Mark E. Peterson. He had instructed stake presidents to question historians and others who had contributed to the magazine's dialogue in the Sunstone. And he was he was beginning to keep tabs on historians who attended meetings that were not church-approved, because these meetings talked too openly about the various sides of the historical questions, of the religious questions. They brought in too much philosophy and too much of human history. And therefore, Marky Peterson began to keep a tab on it. Gordon B. Hinckley told him, knock that shit off. Interesting. That was also the demise of the farms apologetic group. When they began to turn on other Mormons, John DeLynn, et cetera, who didn't think like them, the Heartlanders. Now, granted, the Heartlanders haven't convinced any of us either. That's not the issue. None of them are right. That's not the issue. The issue was the Mormon feeding frenzy. (laughs) against other mormons and so they had to be squelched of course but you see when you get that spirit in you of judgment well i'm right my interpretation of the scripture is correct and so brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so Oh my gosh, they're, they're, they're walking at the very edge of the covenant path. This is dangerous. This is dangerous, good sister. You must repent. Notice always, you're guilty. Always the guilt. You must repent and you must have bishop interviews once a week for six months. We must rebuild your testimony, good sister. Oh my gosh, the Holy Spirit is leaving you. You're going to exit the covenant path, et cetera. That whole method is a massive failure. We can see that. Uninspired heathens that we are. Simply because that's human psychology. The Holy Ghost revealing how to handle the problem. My supposition is that the brethren don't have the Holy Ghost with them. They could. They really could, but they don't. And so they're making all of these positively horrid social issues mistakes. They're making all these positively lousy philosophical mistakes. They're making these impressively ridiculous scientific mistakes, etc. and they're failing in their mission because of that. I don't think the Holy Ghost is saving them at all because they don't want the truth. They want to build up an image. That's uh, And that's too bad for them. Doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, in fact, in the 1992 Encyclopedia of Mormonism, it gave a positive description. Amazingly, enough, it actually gave a positive description of dialogue and Sunstone, the Sunstone Symposium, the B.H. Roberts Society and other independent forums and unofficial organizations. And their publications may serve at least six important functions for church members, it said. And uh, they really did not like that. The leaders, that, that was not a good thing for the Encyclopedia of Mormonism to talk about. Armand Mouse recorded that in his autobiography during the 1983 uh, Mormon Historical Association meetings, scholars were called in by their bishops or their state presidents to be told that their published work was a matter of concern to the brethren. Who gives a fly and flip? Is it accurate? History is what matters to a historian, not who likes it or doesn't like it. And yet the brethren know we control the history. You see where the real issue lies. Control. They want to control you and your thoughts Me and mine. They want to dominate what sees the light of day in print, social media, videos, movie productions, etc. Because they are terrified of the truth. I have no other way to see this. I really don't. Their actions speak vastly louder than their words. When I compare this to John Lennox, the Christian apologist, he says, man, let's bring in the evolutionists into our church meetings and let's have a discussion. Let's make sure we understand their stance so that we can have a realistic response to that stance. Now, that's powerful. Joseph Smith said, by proving contraries, truth is made manifest. The brethren say, oh, no, there can be no contraries. Everything must be smoothed out with the Holy Spirit of the Lord. And it's all faith promoting. And everyone needs to be on the covenant path. The contrast could not be stronger. Utterly astonishing. So. Yes, and uh in nineteen ninety one a later state President, Roy Mossman called Mouse when President Mossman discussed Mouse with his counselors. He was fuming smoke from every orifice. The actual meeting was somewhat tense, but it turned out all right i I guess Armand Mouse was called in a few times with church leaders. On the local level, of course, the brethren are cowards to deal with actual historians who know their materials, right? You'll never see an apostle bother to use or study or understand an actual historian because, see, they already think they know the truth, and therefore they're in the dark. That is one of the most interesting paradoxes, is it not? (laughs) It's just, wow, kind of makes you wonder. Well 10 years later again the evidence that we have historically now is that this is an ongoing saga with the professional historians everything died down 10 years later 2002 mouse was again summoned by his state president the area president had told him, we need to discuss Mouse's comments at a Sunstone symposium. Why don't the brethren come to the Sunstone symposiums and publish in dialogue and interact with the saints and our concerns and our fears and our doubts? Is it because the brethren are terrified of being shown that they don't possess the truth? I honestly can't think of any other suggestion. Yet we find the Christian leaders and the Christian scientists and the Christian philosophers being welcomed into their churches and being allowed their voice and being allowed to give and take and understand and apply real knowledge of the world, of the cosmos, of the scripture into their souls, truth from all sides, not just approved church literature like in Mormonism. Again, I say the contrast is gigantic here. It's absolutely astonishing. Hey, Tim Rathbone, good to see you, my friend. Yes, Warsaw Uprising, good to see you. The audacity of it, thank you for showing up. Good to see you again also. Obadiah Bumbley, good to see you, my friend. So going through all of this, Utterly fascinating church historical suppression of knowledge. Uh, you know, a man is saved no faster than he gains knowledge. Today's Mormons say, oh, a man is no is a man is saved no faster than just reading church-approved literature. You see the change, the loss of Joseph Smith's vision in modern Mormonism, don't you? It, it's astonishing, it's amazing. So let's keep going. I want to keep going. In 1985, after Dialogue published my article, LDS Church Authority and New Plural Marriages, 1890 to 1904, three apostles gave orders to his state president to confiscate my temple recommend. Why can't they get together at the symposia? and sit down in comfortable chairs with the historian in front of the audience and talk things through. It's done on YouTube all the time. It's amazing that these guys refuse to have actual communication, actual just friendly banter and talk. Why? Because they want you to worship them in their own self-professed chosen holiness right here right now on this earth not after they become elohim they want it now now that appears to be quite cynical that's because it's very cynical because their actions suggest my conclusion i can't get away from that it's so fascinating how this works you see they don't like my conclusion I don't change what I'm saying. You change the hell what you're doing. That's how this works. Right? Very remarkable. So let's go on. And of course, Boyd K. Packer prefers the sanitized version of history. Yes, we're all aware of that. And he objected Boyd K. Packer. When Dean C. Jesse wrote his book, The Letters of Brigham Young to His Sons, Boyd K. Packer said, I object to including that Brigham Young sold tobacco. How dare you do that? Well, how dare Brigham Young sell tobacco? Uh, Because it was an actual physical common necessity, Boyd. It's called history, Boyd. Wow, such a narrow-minded, self-righteous bigot. And boy, K. Packer got his way. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Is it any wonder we don't trust you, Mormon Church? To No wonder we don't buy your stupid history. We already know what you think. We want the truth. So we'll go elsewhere now. Yeah, the essays gave them away again. Well, okay, so, yeah, and then the 1981 landmark talk of, of uh, Boyd K. Packer, the mantle is far, 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 far greater than your piddly intellect. Well, it was for Boyds, that's for sure. However, the rest of us enjoy having our God-given intellect and in using it. <laughs> Boyd wanted to shelve it, that's his problem. The trouble is, he was in the leadership of the church, so he convinced the old little gray-haired and silver-haired ladies of Parowan to obey him. Yeah, amazing stuff. There is a temptation for the writer or the teacher of church history to want to tell everything. Yeah, the truth really does suck. Let's select just a small part and then get a testimony of that. And if you don't get a testimony, it's all good. Just keep bearing your testimony until you get it. (laughs) And that's the Packer Inspiration way. Is it any wonder that that kind of silliness doesn't wash anymore today? (laughs) I mean, do we really have to wonder? Not at all. It's astonishing. So anyway, that's enough of him. I, I get talking on Boyd and I get riled up because he was such a lousy methodological historian. And of course, Sterling McMurrin, he had his run-ins, of course. Um, and he regretted efforts to indoctrinate members in a manipulated version of Mormon history, of course. He believed it would be wiser for LDS officials to detach their religion religion from such close association with its controversial past, etc. Um, that was how he was supposed to say things. In June of 1984, headquarters instructed bishops in Utah, the entire state of Idaho, and the entire state of Arizona not to allow discussions in Relief Society or in any church meetings of Linda King Newell's and Baleen Tippett's Avery's Mormon enigma, Emma Smith. They squelched it on the local level. You can't even mention it, let alone talk about it. Again, If you enjoy liberty, if you enjoy your rights to free speech, those won't be honored within the Mormon Iron Curtain. You will be suppressed, squelched, and controlled. Now, if you're good with that, marvelous, go to church. Ask for me in my house. We will not tolerate that kind of heinous, limiting slavery of our minds. Not here, not now, not ever again. That's how this works. See, we have woken up. So that's how it is. So anyway, and yeah, and they they tell about their nightmare with uh they wouldn't even they wouldn't even let the authors go to church, let alone talk about their book at all. Because of course the brethren don't know the history, for one thing, because they've suppressed it all. And number two, they have no faith or love of truth. They're terrified of the truth. And so they constantly have to attack a historian, go after a philosopher downplay a scientist in his findings, nonstop. I mean, it must be totally exhausting to these heads in Salt Lake City to constantly have to fight off everybody who brings forth truth so that their falsehood can shine as a light on the hill of what falsehood looks like. <laughs> That's how the rest of us see it, right? It's amazing. So let's keep going on. Uh, Yeah, um, yeah, he, oh, this was 1986. The historical department announced it was necessary to sign a form first, because Elder Packer said so, declaring the right of pre-publication censorship by the Brethren. Otherwise, the historians were not allowed to even get into the archives or publish anything. They had to sign a legal form binding document that, yes, we can excise whatever we want and whatever we don't like in your historical research. Now, what a way to build trust in the church with your own intelligent people, right? I mean, that just knocks you on your keister. It's jaw-dropping. And yet that's our beloved Boyd. Oh, how we loved his spirit, didn't we? His spirit of falsehood and lying. It was so glorious. Of course, he made up for all those defects by talking in the small, sweet, still voice of the spirit during General Conference, right? So much storytelling, and then, of course, they studied the or they censored the study groups after Levina Fielding Anderson published in dialogue. They, they did not want people talking about her materials, and yet they lacked the censorship of Paul H. Dunn. And that was an absolute nightmare. Public relations situation. Wow, that was brutal. And then Sisters in Spirit by Maureen Beecher and Levina Fielding Anderson, they wouldn't even let that book in their doors. They constantly argued and yelled against it, and the brethren said, no one can study this book together. I mean, wow. Not only are the women suppressed, when they write a book about How in our suppression to gain solidarity and sisterhood, the brethren don't even want that. They want the sisters to wash their feet, not each other's feet. The brethren want your worship and solidarity. They don't want you to be friends in church. Always look to the brethren. Wow. Is it any wonder the younger generation has basically flagged him the bird and said, kiss off? Honestly, it, 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 is, is that actually a surprise anymore these days? It's, it's honestly not to me. It really isn't. So, holy nightmare. And of course, you're promised great blessings by following us, your leaders, your priesthood brethren who cannot and who will not lead you astray, good sisters. It gets to be a real old routine, doesn't it? It really does. And then Elder Oaks changing history, even the history that he himself witnessed because he liked it better, told another way. You're going, oh, wow. <laughs> staggering, man. Oh. I'm not going to get into that just right yet. And then the Mark Hoffman cover-up, of course. The church was completely fooled. And on hindsight, really. Any surprise here? Of course not. Of course they're going to buy the documents, not to share them, but to hide them, of course. And who were the blithering idiots that said they were forgeries, when this supports Joseph Smith the prophet? The anti-Mormons, Gerald and Sandra Tanner. And they got it right and saved themselves millions of dollars by not purchasing these forgeries like Mormonism did. And then Elder Oaks turns around and acts like it was a victory for the church that they got the documents. Wow, <laughs> that is staggering, man. Oh, that was one of the big—that was one of the big shelf, the shelf benders, if not the breakers for me. Was that Mark Hoffman episode? That was brutal. Yep. Yeah, Oaks addressed the charge in 1987 that the church routinely covers up uh, documents. He does not address any of the controversies before 1986. Once Hoffman trial began, the church had to refrain from commenting in order to not unduly influence the trial Uh he did give a fascinating justification for withholding documents from the public. Are documents ever acquired by the church and then closed to the public? Of course, this is true of most large archives. The church historical department restricts access to certain materials. That's not what's being restricted, however. What's being restricted is our freedom to share and discuss and work through Issues of historical interest. They even suppress that in the people, not just the written documents. Yeah, it gets ugly. So anyway. Uh, And then Dallin Oaks and the Nauvoo Expositor, he describes how the event that focused on Mormon hostilities led directly to the martyrdom was the action of Mayor Joseph Smith and the city council. And the issue here is the newly established opposition newspaper in Nauvoo is what they destroyed. Mormon historians, including Elder B.H. Roberts, had conceded that this action was illegal. Yeah, and B.H. Roberts or Dallin Oaks, not just because of this issue, I will unhesitatingly take B.H. Roberts absolutely every time I'm given that choice without fail. Right. Yeah. We lost a good one when Roberts died. No one seemed to pick up his fabulous historian mantle. They squelched it. So anyway, Oaks, of course, tried to make it seem like it wasn't illegal because he has to support Joe Smith. Right. Yeah. So he'll tell us any kind of bullshit. And then and then how about Joseph's beer? (laughs) How about this beer drinking episode? This was so fascinating. Uh, He says in June, 1841, this is the 1st of June, 1844, you guys. This is just before he was martyred. Here's what Joseph Smith said. Met George J. Adams and paid him 50 bucks then went to John P. Greens and paid him and another brother 200 bucks, drank a glass of beer at Moser's called at William Clayton's while Dr. Richards and O.P. Rockwell called at the doctor's new house. When this published in the 1902 history of the church, it reads met George J. Adams paid him 50 bucks, then went to John P. Green's and paid him and another brother $200. Called at William Clayton's while Dr. Richards and Oren Porter Rockwell called at the doctor's new house. We can't let people know Joseph Smith drank a beer, so take it out. What a bunch of Queasley cowards! these leaders are for being so terrified of such an obvious simple truth. Then, of course, they delete Brigham Young's wives in the manual, the teaching manual. We remember when that went down. Yeah, no kidding. And then uh, other various miscellaneous things and they ignore our racist history of course and they really get mad at people who bring out that aspect they want uh, to cover their bias racist tracks and so of course they misuse their ecclesiastical priesthood authority to suppress others to excommunicate those etc etc today why does all of this matter because it hasn't stopped, astonishingly enough. Let's take a look. Kurt Cottle, a BYU-Idaho religious professor at Rexburg, Idaho, was fired in 2014 for teaching our history. In particular, his mentioning Fanny Alger and the historicity of Brigham Young's transformation during the succession crisis led to discipline from a state president. All of this happened during the summer when many Internet active members were contacted for church discipline, John DeLynn, Kelly, and others. The action taken against Coddles admitting to everything being historically accurate. How dare he tell the truth? You will be punished for telling the truth by being kicked out of the church and losing your job because we apostles and testifiers of the Holy name don't like the truth. So you must accept our lies or we'll kick you out of church and cost you your career. My advice, don't go to work for the Mormon church. You guys, I mean, duh, that doesn't take a PhD in psychology to figure out, does it? Brian Dawson, 2015, the Salt Lake Tribune reported on Brian Dawson, a young Sunday school teacher. His students wanted to know why the priesthood and temple ban against blacks was instituted. He turned to the church's groundbreaking 2013 article. This is the church's own article published on the church's internet website itself on their official history of the church that they hired legal historians to write this history of the church. This Sunday school teacher, he taught from that church approved source, the article dealing with the priesthood ban and it didn't please his local leaders who removed him from his teaching assignment. They hadn't read the essay. He did. They were in the dark and totally ignorant of the church's policy and understanding. He wasn't, and yet they released him. Asking his bishop why... If the Spirit guides me in a way that involves these multitude of documents, who am I to resist the enticing of the Spirit? Something every prophet has taught we should acquire. Listen to what his bishop said. His bishop responded, The Spirit is telling me to tell you not to use those documents even though they were published by the church. (laughs) This brings up a whole can of worms, doesn't it? (laughs) Holy nightmare Mormonism. So anybody who wants to say anything can now go to the Holy Spirit told me to. That's how the Holy Spirit works. But you'll notice the trump card the leaders have. Well, I have a priesthood, higher authority, calling. And so my priesthood tells me, Trump's, your spirit tells you. My spirit is more truthful because I am the authority and yours isn't. Wow. (laughs) Like I said, folks... It's stupid stuff like this that helped me quit being an apologist for Mormonism. True story. I I mean, wow. There's no anchor of truth here at all. Pure brainwash, you guys. Pure brainwash. And then August 16th, 1992 on Channel 4, I am ashamed, frankly, of a church that doesn't want to tell the truth. Who is this? Yeah, David Knowlton. I am ashamed of institutional lying. Yeah, I'm so ashamed of it, I'll be damned if I'll defend it. Not happening in my house. Uh Uh-uh. Nope. No way. That a committee exists within the church that keeps files on the activities of its members. Yeah, you see the lack of trust from the leadership to all the rest of everybody else that will erode trust in the leadership. We're already seeing that, and it's going into the hundreds of thousands of people, not just a few here and there, pocket apostates. No, it's getting right to the core. When you kill trust, By not believing in the truth, you're finished. That's how it works. So anyway, okay, so there is still a tendency to lie about the strengthening of the church members committee. They're still lying about it. And this was published in Dialogue and on Wikipedia Michael Purdy, a church spokesman, initially denied the existence of this committee until he was further pressed. Again, you see why there is and can be no trust. It's not us in our guilty, wicked sin wandering off the gospel covenant path. It is the deliberate lies of Mormon leaders until they are pressed and then they're caught playing with their little factories and then they admit it and confess. That's not how to build trust, folks. That's not how it works. I got bad news for you Mormons. So anyway, that's enough of that, boy. Elder Ballard denying any historical hiding and of course Bill Real and Radio Free Mormon have covered this sensationally in Mormonism Live there are several sessions hey fine business operator welcome my friend uh and golden thrasher welcome i see you here too so anyway um these kind of issues of deliberately lying about suppressing it when we've got the internet now that shows they were suppressing it. And yet they're continuing to say it's not true. And when you present the evidence, then they say, well, okay, it was just that one instance. Then we give them another document and say, well, all right, it was only twice. That can't be that bad. And then we overwhelm them with mountain loads is it any wonder no one has any trust makes perfect sense to me now and and i want to get i'm going to skip some of this yeah yeah i'm ready to to move on to uh this is what's so interesting to me at this point in time a mormon showed up on the message boards and he asked the straightforward question of all of us on the message boards. Here is his question. Much to my delight, I have discovered that among all the numerous atheists on this forum, see, they'll label everyone atheist who disagrees with them, right? Again, it's just a label. But, you know, <laughs> Mormon inspiration for you. There are a few biblical Christians, wonderful, and I'm so happy. In particular, Jersey Girl and Ms. Nobody appear to be biblical Christians. And I suppose there may be more that I haven't noticed. I'm not going to ignore any atheists who respond to this post. Oh, no, of course not. (sighs) But I'm really addressing this post to those few biblical Christians. Here's my question. Why do you think that God hasn't chosen the leaders of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to speak for him? Okay. And several people responded. Rivendell said because God is divinely hidden due to epistemic distance Elder Bednar has asked recently what he thought of most Christian religions and he said they are deceived boy that's a hell of a way to build trust with everyone else too huh? (laughs) these guys are clueless man and when pressed about his own beliefs being deceived, he just said that you have to have faith. Okay <laughs> Let's go to another one. Here's another very interesting comment from moksha. Now moksha now interesting in in the Sanskrit that means liberated. you're liberated from the world of form and deceit and all that. so but moksha has a wicked sense of humor. I love this guy's humor, man. Um, And so he's always, he's pretty much sarcastic and he really zings it in. Listen to what Moshe says. I love this guy. I guess they do not buy into the argument that God chose Joseph Smith because he was a con man. Those biblical Christians are naive in thinking God would seek out a man of virtue. It is like they blind themselves to the obvious truth the obvious fact the fruit of knowledge comes from the sour crab apple tree learn that point and all knees will bend to salt lake city <laughs> i love it man i love his humor he is god's gift to uh, the rest of us who take stuff a little too seriously and we shouldn't here's another response by a christian why do you think that God hasn't chosen the leaders of the Catholic and Protestant churches to speak for him? Uh-huh. I'll give you a hint, Kevin. The more exclusive you are in your beliefs toward others, the more exclusive they will be in return with you. Wow. Maybe church leaders need to get back to the basics and figure that out, right? That's not necessarily bad or good, but it shouldn't be a complete mystery why people generally don't rally behind authority figures who have condemned them. Whoa! Someone needs to mail this into Salt Lake City Church headquarters and have them put this on every one of their walls, shouldn't they? Here's another response by a man that goes by the name of Drum Dude. Well, maybe you are instead asking, what within biblical Christianity precludes Mormon leaders from having inspiration from God. You're not saying that biblical Christians should believe they are inspired. You're just asking what justifies biblical Christians to think it's impossible. Interesting insight. Here's another comment. Oh, and I've got a. oh, okay, here we go. For quite a few years, I went to a weekly Bible study with a group of mainstream Christians. I don't get out very often anymore, but I have discussed this topic multiple times with them. I can give you their response. Here's the Christian's view for why they don't see Mormon church leaders inspired from God to speak for God. Here's the Christian's view. You would think Mormon leaders would be interested in knowing this. First off, They tend to struggle with the whole idea of people being inspired directly by God in the first place. Okay, When I talked with them about personal revelation, they struggle with the concept. They firmly believe in sola scriptura. So when talking about inspiration, if you read a Bible verse and feel inspired about it, that is good. If you feel like God is talking to you directly, that makes them uncomfortable. We even have a Catholic in our Bible study group. Notice they go inter-denominational, cross-denominational. Wow, how would it be for Mormons to actually do that? Yeah? I wonder if anyone else tell the leaders how far off base they are in their zealous evangelical preaching. Yeah, interesting. We even have a Catholic in our Bible study group who doesn't think God ever speaks to the Pope, although he said his priest once told him that he was more of a Protestant Catholic, which is a bit of a contradiction of terms. Wow. Yeah. Overall, in answer to the question, why do you think that God hasn't chosen the leaders of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to speak for him? I think the mainstream Christians in my Bible study group would say God already chose people to speak for him and his words are in the Bible. There is no need for God to have anyone speaking for him today, let alone the LDS church. The only people who can speak for God will use the words of the Bible to reach out to people. For those who are mainstream Christians here, feel free to correct me if you think I'm putting words in your mouth. So a decent response. And finally, this is another response that I wanted to get to. For some 1800 years, I think this is by a a physicist in Germany, uh, for some 1800 years god did not think it useful or appropriate to choose the leaders of the lds church of course that does not determine that come early 1800 a new plan could not be put into place one could look at historical features in christian source in sorry one could look at historical failures in christian choices One could look at destructive disagreements to suggest new leadership would be good. On the other hand, people learn from their mistakes and people can hear Jesus' call without new leadership, just willingness to make new following. I do not accept the belief in Salt Lake City authority based upon evidence. Too many considerations indicate that the Book of Mormon is a 19th century religious fiction. I find these ideas introduced, which I cannot view as trustworthy. There's that trust again. That's the number one problem in Mormonism, whether they like it or not. Polygamy being the first example, it is tied to doubtful ideas of endowment and becoming gods. The racial question is, to my mind, a good example why centralized authority has negative side effects. I am old enough to remember blacks and priesthood and the doctrine relationships to civil rights movement as something I had to struggle with. I do not think of the LDS church as all bad. I think that there are lots of people following hope in Jesus within the church. I do not see perfection anywhere, so I do not condemn Mormonism for what I think of as errors. May we all continue to learn. I might add that I see no reason to think that being LDS would block you from receiving inspiration from God. I just do not think it is a special inside track for that inspiration. So there are some really interesting responses in response to that question. And this theme of our trust, this theme of tell the truth, let the consequence follow. So it's been a it's been a good review. Uh, it's been a good recap. Unfortunately, for the church, we still see this deceiving pattern from Jesus. And if you can't trust Jesus, who can you trust? Now, I say that deliberately to be provocative. They claim they speak for Jesus. Well, if they're being deceptive, then that means Jesus is being deceptive. But even telling them that I have my sincere doubts that that will change their methods. That's how far down the road of not being credible they have slipped. They drastically need to do something, but they have. They've made $100 billion. They're the largest landowner in America, etc. They've chosen another God. Now, I hasten to add, that's assuming that Jesus taught the truth when he said, You cannot serve God and mammon. It must be one or the other. So some tough times, I suspect, will continue for the Mormon church. I wish them the best. I sincerely do. But they have to realize that they, too, are in serious need of serious repentance and change of attitude and mind and mindset and psychology. I'm not calling them to that. I am simply showing how the effects of their method affect others because I see precious little evidence that they get it. (laughs) So that is the... Podcast I wanted to do this morning. Uh, come come back Sunday night tonight with Dan Vogel. We will be talking about the Faculty of the brac, Magic and Mormonism again, and its tie with Freemasonry. Dan has been on several times, and he is a stellar, stellar uh, guest. I have a very good guest coming on next week, our own Tim Rathbone. Yes, we have worked out a time for him to come on and share his expertise in church history. He was directly involved, and we will be talking about uh, many, many ideas on church history next Sunday together on my podcast as well. So you won't want to miss that. So, okay, thanks, you guys. Be good, do well, have fun, go have a great day for the rest of the day. I'm going to head out. I'm done for now, and I will see you guys tonight, 6 o'clock. Be good. I love you all. Thank you so much for participating. Thank you for all the likes. Have a great afternoon or morning or evening. Depends on where you are in the world. See you at night.